So hello, my name is Xenophon Bobadimitris. I'm a professor of American Informatics and Data Science here at Yale. This video is part of a series of supplementary interviews recording for a new program in medical software and medical AI. Our guest today is Andre Biasucci from Confinis in Switzerland. And Andre will talk to us about all things Europe, European AI Act, and the issues that he sees as they go. So Andre, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you and your company, and we'll get started from there. Thank you very much, Xenius. It's it's a privilege to be here. And uh, I would say working again with you and Yale on these Coursera courses. So I am a biomedical engineer and electronic engineer by training, a serial entrepreneur. I built and sold two uh, neurotech companies in the past. I've been working as a regulatory uh, quality and clinical affairs consultant for medical device uh, for quite some time now. Uh, I've been at Roche, managing digital products at Roche. And since July this year, I'm back in this consulting firm, Confinis, uh, dealing with the growth of this company and dealing with the new world that we live in. And that's, I think, the topic that we will cover today. Get to the technical issues of AI towards the end. I guess what I would like to start is a lot of you are asking questions about the UAI Act. You're not in the EU, but you're surrounded by the EU there, probably. So what's the state of it? I mean, is this done? Is it still in progress? What is, what is the kind of situation? Yes, so the AI Act is one of the um, regulations that belong to this new uh, legislative framework of the European Union. Uh, this new legislative framework also generated two of the texts that people in the medical device and IVD space know and love the most, which is the NDR and the IVDR text, this regulation, medical device regulation, in vitro diagnostic regulation. And under the same uh, framework idea, the European Union wanted to develop uh, uh, a text that would legislate uh, how AI is, is, is produced and commercialized in Europe, trying to place Europe uh, in, the, let's say in, the, in the first row of innovation. We will discuss in a moment whether this was the case or not. Um, there have been many different uh, acts and, and texts proposed, out, uh, let's say, publicly. And in June this year, the European Union has finally uh, voted in favor of the implementation of some, uh, let's say, discussion around this final text. And um, so this text is final, it's being deployed, and it has already, it is starting to have an effect in terms of coordination with different other texts that are alive. And as of today, the use of artificial intelligence in Europe will be regulated according to the AI Act, which is, by the way, the first comprehensive law about AI uh, worldwide. So that's a private we can we can say uh, Europe achieved. Yeah, I mean the US is still working its way through that. What are the main provisions of this act? What are we looking at in a piece of legislation like this? Yes. So as it's often the case in uh, in European legislation, uh, Europe started from some values, very high level. Um, so they foresaw that. Um, AI systems used in Europe are safe, transparent, traceable, non-discriminatory, and environmentally friendly. As you can imagine, all these topics together do not define an easy task for the legislator to draft a text that is pragmatic. Uh, in general, the legislative approach has been also the same of the other uh, regulated products that we know quite well in this uh, environment of, of courses, which is the medical device um, products, so medical products in general. And, and the, basic frame, the basic idea is that 
anything that happens on the on placing on the market medical products or regulated products in general in Europe is risk based. So using the same approach, the the European Parliament wanted a, a regulation that would stratify requirements based on risk of these AI systems, following a I would say familiar uh, approach in, um, in 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 the structure of these requirements and how these devices or products are are managed in the future. Now, as part of the um, of the implementation of this of this text. Europe tried to provide a unified definition of AI systems, very hard task, that is technology neutral. And um, they also at the same time try to establish some red lines around what can be done and cannot be done. So th there is a ban as of today in, uh, in Europe uh, on certain AI practices, including biometric identification, um, some uh, biometric categorization, uh, some predicting policing system that based on profiling, emotional recognition system that is uh, used in the in, in the in the context of law enforcement without uh, an authorization by uh, law institutions like some more courts, and um, use of facial facial images for profiling uh, reasons. Now, this is one, so the idea that we ban certain use cases is already strong by itself. It has many implications in the way uh, manufacturers may end up in being one of those cases. And this goes close to the idea of having high risk, um, high risk products. So the idea is that there's the certification in two levels of risk, low risk AI, high risk AI, and in a, uh, high risk AI, you would include any system that has an effect on human health and safety or fundamental rights or environment. These concepts are put together in the medical space that the world that I that I uh, I live most most of my days. We are more used about speaking only. Uh, we are more used to speak only about health and safety, not really about these other aspects that are more uh, holistic. And this is also this text is also special because it, it differentiates the use of AI for influencing potential votes in the eurozone. That's another interesting uh, aspect they discussed, imagining the future. Finally, and that that closes this this little chapter sub chapters. They they define in the text. So this text defines general purpose AI obligations. So obligations of manufacturers that that develop general purpose AI. And this includes mitigating risks, uh, registering models in a EU database that sooner or later will, will appear. Um, it speaks explicitly of generative AI models uh, that have to comply with transparency requirements, meaning that they have to disclose that the content was AI generated. Uh, they must also distinguish between deep fake and real uh, images and have in general safeguards for illegal uses, potential illegal uses. This is interesting because it sounds very similar to what we know as general safety performance requirements of the devices that we uh, have in the medical device and every spaces. And finally, the text has the purpose in general to be uh, supporting innovation and protect the rights of the European citizens. So that's the overall uh, scope of this regulation. So if I look at that and think about medical devices now, are medical devices high risk in this context? 
or is it some of them that, are and some are not? What is how do we come into that, that? Yes, thank you. So this is a very interesting question and quite a hot topic. And a, a small anecdote: I was in, in Berlin at the, in June uh, for the Medical Device Regulator Forum. Uh, so this INDR uh, RF and this was one of the topics that people talked uh, about the most. What is the cross uh, interaction between the AI Act, AI Act and the medical device regulation? Well, uh, in general, they, they cite each other. So the AI Act cites the medical device regulation and there are some implications. So it's um, from the AI perspective, the medical device complying with the medical device regulation requirements is necessary, not sufficient to be compliant with uh, AI, the AI Act. And this establishes a, um, a hierarchy of text. So the AI Act would be higher priority, legislative priority than the medical device regulation, meaning that a device that is compliant with MDR would still need to comply with the rest of the AI Act in order to be. Uh, used as an AI medical device. That's the current the, the current, let's say, uh, short explanation. In practical terms, the AI already specifies few provisions that we can assume will not change too much, meaning that whenever a um, device is placed on the market and this the placing on the market of that device requires a third party to intervene in the conformity assessment procedure, which means notified bodies need to assess the tech file for uh, medium, low, medium, high, and high risk products. They would also fall in the high risk class in the AI Act. That is something we know already. Another thing we know, and that's probably also uh, going in the direction of the, of the discussion we have here, is that the way the AI Act is structured seems to already indicate a conformity assessment procedure of AI systems. And this would mean that we, we could have notified bodies that go through uh, a conformity assessment procedure for AI systems, which opens up a lot of very uh, yeah, creative uh, ways to forecast future in this domain. I know just to back out a little for those of the students listening for the first time to these things, can you talk a little bit about what notified bodies are and then we'll come yes. back to how they interact here? Yes, absolutely, with pleasure. So the regulatory framework in Europe for medical products, um, especially medical devices uh, that are defined as devices that have an effect on health or in diagnostics or in therapy, um, implies that the level of scrutiny that the authorities need to have towards the product depends on the risk that the product poses to human health. Mm -hmm. This means that if you have a scalpel, you need to imagine the worst possible case. What can a scalpel do? And a scalpel is typically cut, so they can generate a cut in a place that's unwanted. And the risk of the device itself is limited to the fact that they can cut. So this device is a relatively low risk, while a pacemaker could, uh, and a defect in the pacemaker could potentially kill a person or a series of people. And that's why some products are classified as low risk and some of high risk. Now, this is an easy differentiation 
The um, regulatory framework in Europe also specifies that you have four classes, and that's aligned with the international regulation that specifies that you have low risk, medium low risk, medium high risk, or high risk. This is class what we call one, two A, two B, and three. The US system has just three classes. Uh, we like to make it more comprehensive and say in Europe. But um, now, this is what specifies the risk class of the device. It depends on what the, what the worst use or a defective device can do towards the health of a, of a person. And depending, so all the devices that, that fall in the medium or high class require that the uh, manufacturer establishes a technical file. That's also true for the low risk devices. But for medium and high risk devices, a, a third party needs to inspect the, uh, the tech file, the, the documentation, in order to grant the C mark that allows people to sell in the unified market in Europe. These entities are called notified bodies. There are, let's say, not to make it too complex, but in Europe, we have the European Commission and the notified bodies. They have a joint, let's say, responsibility to check uh, files that, and devices that enter the European market. Then the, uh, there are national component authorities that are responsible for checking the um, post-market surveillance, making sure that the device is safe on the market and effective. And notified bodies only have the duty to be there, to screen the files, make sure that the documentation is comprehensive, there are no gaps, and be informed of potential vigilance cases or adverse events on the market. So these notified bodies, so as you see, there are three entities in, in Europe that deal with the medical device uh, framework, the European Commission, that normally just gives power to different entities to do things, the component authority, post-market surveillance, and notified bodies, private entities that screen uh, the, the tech files and give uh, C marks for medium and high-risk products. So now, when it comes to the UAI Act, are we talking about another set of notified bodies effectively? Are we going to do the pre-market review for AI products, or are this going to be the same thing for medical products? Are they going to be the same body that does both? What's the feeling right now? Yes, this is a hard question to answer right now because as of today, there's none of this is yet implemented. And um, we know how it, so for example, we when let, let's take the example of non-event bodies that act on different regulated uh, industries. The automotive industry is regulated. And the automotive industry has a set of notified bodies that can deal with uh, the quality mm -hmm. aspects of uh, the automotive industry. Uh, even if we look at the medical device and IVD differentiation, because there are two different legal texts, we will see that notified bodies may be the same private entity that gets an accreditation to do reviews and give C marks of according to that legislation. For example, the medical device regulation. And sometimes the same company can have the scope for the medical device regulation and the in vitro diagnostic mm -hmm. regulation. So it would be kind of natural that you would have a scope for, or a, let's say, a designation for AI that would com complement and complete this, uh, this set. But the, 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 I mean, the practical implementation, given it's, it's so, um, let's say, it's so tightly. Um, linked so the ai text is linked to many other texts and depends on many other texts is still not clear how this will happen also because unfortunately the ai act has several contradictions with respect to some provisions set forth in the medical device regulation and most importantly in the general data protection regulation the gdpr 
And that opens up a new uh, topic for today, which is how data is used and processed in Europe. And this is actually specified in this regulation called GDPR. So I was going to ask you, so if I am designing a new medical device software tool, sound or something like that, so I need to worry about three types of, three big regulations right now. There's a medical device regulation, there's a GDPR for data privacy, and the AI Act, if I'm doing anything to do with AI. And so that was exactly my question. How complementary versus contradictory are those? Are the requirements compatible or is it, do they need to be harmonized internally first? Yeah, um, let's say they're all comprehensive and complex texts. And it's amazing how, so you see, I, I work in a company that serves the industry. So we deal with practical problems every day. And when I was at this medical device regulators forum, uh, I had the chance to speak to a member of the commission that was saying, when we wrote the MDR, we thought no one would need any, any other guidance documents than the MDR itself. It's so comprehensive, so self-explanatory, 150 pages of text. So now that gives the perspective of the legislator, the regulator, when they develop this text, they think it's self-encapsulated. And then there is a cascade of implications. For example, the AI Act specifies that where manufacturers an AI needs to be transparent or accountable for the integrity of the uh, data represented there. While the GDPR ensures that whoever manages, treats, uh, processes the data should not give access to certain types of data, such as patient data, and that's illegal. So at the same time, we may be forced by law to have access to data and forced by law to not have access by data. And that's the typical uh, controversy and, and contradiction that is, is often there. Because on one hand, we want to protect the, um, the data privacy and the rights of, of the users towards their own data. On the other side, we want to protect the, the let's say, the health. So ensure safety for the health of patients that needs, for these models, it needs to give us access to the details of the, of the data that is used to generate uh, a model or to predict anything. Yeah, that sounds all very interesting and complicated. You, you sort of mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but I'm going to come back to this. Do we have a definition of what AI is in these things? Like, like is regression fitting AI in this domain? Is all software AI? Do you need to be a neural network before you're AI? Like, what is the definition of AI we're operating under? By the way, this is the impossible question. I know that nobody has a good handle on it. Uh, you, you're asking me something very, very hard to reply. I First of all, like, I come from machine learning myself. So I, I did research in machine learning. And I would have a, a very hard time as, as a technical expert, as a scientist, to give you a unified definition of AI. What is AI? In my times, that was linear linear, linear uh, algebra. <laughs> so now, um, let's say the authorities are trying to come up with very generic definitions. Um, the AI Act provides one. I, it's hard for me to comment on that. Also because there are a number of standardization groups, ISO groups, that are working on definitions. And each group comes up with a different um, definition. Some focus on the technology used to generate a certain output. Some focus on the way this output is formulated and how this output may influence whoever is using that output. So it's, it's very hard to say. And right now, there's no, because 
let's say we have a problem in Europe to come up with a European definition, but this is a more generic international problem of finding one definition that needs to be harmonized across legislations. Yeah, my talking about that. So moving a little bit away from the legislative work and come back to your work, I'm sure you're seeing an avalanche of products. I mean, we talked last really two years ago and we talked for like half an hour. Did we talk about AI for 30 seconds? I'm sure that the world has changed since the last time. What are you seeing on the AI space in terms of products? What are your challenges in helping companies get through this whole gauntlet? And you know, what do you think the future is going to bring to you here? The future, I mean, I mean, tomorrow, the next six weeks, I'm not even sure we know what's going to be very far in the future. Mm. Yeah, I, I was thinking before having this interview about our discussion two years, three years ago, three years ago. And um, I think we talked briefly about AI coming. We didn't know what AI was there. I think at the coming back also back to the question you asked before, the definition of AI. Now, there is a part of this uh, algos, because we, we often mix algos and AI. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I tend to see more, um, let's say, the use of data itself, some models, meaning machine learning-based approaches to manipulating data and generating the output as a unified, extended definition of AI. So whatever takes some data in and generates some output, that would be an AI. So in, in my work, we, we help hundreds of clients in the field, in the industry of medical devices, to either stay on the market because they already are on the market or to access the market. And now we're seeing a very steep increase in requests in uh, large language model-based processing of information. Now, the typical use case is for diagnostic purposes. We also have other use cases in, uh, let's say, in the testing space, analyzing uh, output of tests, summarizing output of tests. And uh, so what, what I'm doing with, with our team here is use available commercial models. And, and that. so what I expect about the future is a lot more commercial uh, AI as a service. Microsoft is investing in that. We will soon have Copilot in Europe. You already have the privilege to have it there. We have note-taking apps. Uh, we have many things that we, I want people to start using to understand what this technology can do well. Summaries does it very well. Where does it fail? Right now, we see limitations in discussing. So this machine is good in generating text that resembles natural language. That, that's how it's built, because of the way it's built. It fails where in, in domains where it has few instances to base its processing. So the probability of words being associated with few observations in their starting data set comes out very weird. So the, what we perceive it's quite weird is if you talk three hours with one of these GPTs, you would end up in a weird discussion because it's very unlikely to have these long, long, long chains. And the same way, if you generate a scientific paper with, with this technology, you may enter what we call an hallucination, meaning it's a human-like plausible text that has completely no meaning, no, and, and but it generates fake references, fake text, fake conclusions in a way that's quite dangerous. So now we are training people, long story short, in our company to deal with the risks that we start to see, uh, hallucinations, being submitted to authorities. How would an authority deal with an hallucination in a test report, for example? <laughs> Very hard to say. And what's the 
what's the implication, legal implication, who's fault, like imagine I, I, I dimension a uh, bone fixation plate, a tenth of what it should be because the AI hallucinated on the mechanical test report. Whose fault is that? Is it the company fault? The test labs that use the AI fault? So we are seeing a number of new problems arising from the use of this technology, but it's clear that it has um, this rapid potential that is enormous. I also want to tell you one last thing about this topic. In uh, last month, there was a national congress of the Swiss medtech industry. So I was invited to speak about innovation, how to bring innovation to the EU market. And I said, okay, let me check some reports and data that we have about the use of AI. So I found some very interesting McKinsey reports that's quite, quite recent about uh, what, do, what do people that are proficient with the use of AI think about? So while the majority of mainstream users thinks about how to be more efficient with AI, the majority of proficient users that already do use AI think about either new business model or the lack of existing AI models, technical models, to do something that they would like to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that this distance shows to all the uh, students that are listening to this course how important it is to test it. Like, dirty your hands. Get to work with these tools, understand how they work, and, and try to find a meaningful use to that. It's not just in, in, in a pre-made box. So that, that's my encouragement. So just try, try to understand how it works. We are in the early days. Yeah, I mean, look, there are issues, but this thing isn't going to go away, right? I mean, uh, the future is there. We need to learn how to manage it. We'll have to work around the risks associated with it, but we're not going to go back. There's no way that this is going to... I agree with you. And I think that the fact that the legislation is lagging behind the pace of innovation is a huge and it's a fantastic opportunity. That's why courses like these are very important because people get to see the regulatory implications. You cannot just do anything and put it on the market. You need to comply with certain rules and this could shape the products you want to put on the market in Europe. Now, it is also true that I, I have a few friends like Stephen Gilbert that makes uh, research on this topic who have analyzed um, the different approaches in the US and Europe towards new technology and AI in particular. And right now we live in a world that's heavily split because there is a part of the world that's trying to go for the deregulated approach, giving big tech companies freedom to play and test, even sometimes a bit beyond their normal scope or the normal legislative framework. And at the same time, Europe is trying to stop things from happening too fast. So the AI Act is an attempt to just, uh, let's say, put a gate, limit the, 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 limit the flow of innovation, uh, uncontrolled innovation, trying to protect some basic rights. It's based on value. On the other side, it's more pragmatic, say, get it out, get the, the best possible, and then we see how to uh, identify risks and, and, and mitigate them. Yeah, no, it's an interesting world we live in, for sure. Andrea, thank you for all this. I don't keep you much longer, but is there anything else you thought was important to say before we close? Now, thank you for this occasion. I believe that the, the most important thing to say now is that the, the foreseeable future will be dominated by good education. Uh, because it's true that we have AI, we have the artificial intelligence, but the we have a philosophical question we need to start asking ourselves more often is, why cannot a machine do what I'm doing right now? And what is that makes me unique in completing that task 
and, and, and essential to the completion of that task. Because there, although we have seen some impressive demos right now, I've never seen one that convinced me that the human can be completely uh, ignored in the, in the, especially in the medical device sector, in the medical sector. So that's an encouragement to everyone to get educated on this and, and get deep into the, the details. Thank you. So, yeah, fine.